On the block, on demand. They don't know about the kumbaya meetings we had this week. I may have some news for you in a moment. Without Jerry McNamara, we would have won 10 games this year. Continue standing by. Okay, not 10. 25-footer, yes! Off the glass and in! An assassin, Stone Cold! Somebody in Vegas told him they were going to win my 20! The Bills make me want to Taylor, going to take a shot, throwing end zone, he's got weapons, touchdown! They didn't look into your heart, they didn't look into my heart! The Boston Red Sox are world champions! This is On The Block. Here is your host, Brent Axe. ESPN Radio 97.7. ESPN Radio Utica Rome. It's happening in Mohawk Valley. Great to have you on board as always. You can listen online. We do have the internet on computers now. It's a beautiful thing. ESPNSyracuse.com. You can listen via the ESPN app. Got some feedback from some of you that were, in fact, out there using the app, listening to us while you were trick-or-treating. So thank you for that. Hope the kiddies had a great Halloween. Hope you had a great Halloween. And here we go into November. You turn that page, and it's Syracuse basketball time, right? we got exhibition-style basketball to discuss on this program today. We are going to talk Syracuse football today. As the Orange come out of the bye week and get ready for an interesting game against Florida State. Thanks, Brent. Welcome, Coach. Been a while since we talked. Some uh, real meat foot, you know, meat hanging off the bones football, Coach, with the bye week. So we'll uh, talk to Dino Babers again on the show tomorrow. Next week, we begin our weekly chats with Jim Beheim, And we're just ramping up, man. We're getting there. You flip that calendar over, and all of a sudden, it's that crossover between hoops and football. And a hoops crossover where football is still interesting. Nobody is saying when's basketball season in a negative sense. You're saying when is a basketball season because we just always say that. But we're doing it with football still very much relevant and interesting. So that'll make for a great, at least start of November, discussion here between Syracuse football and basketball. We'll discuss both of those things today. Our friend Dan Duva, now the voice of the Vegas Golden Knights, former voice of the Crunch, of course, is going to check in later in the show about 520. He's kind of making that East Coast swing with Vegas. They play the Islanders and the Rangers. And the Vegas Golden Knights, mind you, it's only November 1st, but they're off to a pretty good start for an expansion team. We'll see if they've got the goods to keep that going, catch up with Dan, see what life is like in the National Hockey League, not taking buses anymore, taking chartered planes. And, of course, Dan was in Vegas when the shooting took place and how the city has rallied around that team and how sports can bring a community together and so much to discuss. It'll be great to catch up with Dan Duva, former host of In the Booth right here on ESPN Radio Syracuse, a spot now occupied by Matt Park, voice of the Orange. We'll be on the call tonight for exhibition-style basketball. Now, on a programming note, so here on the FM side, if you're listening on ESPN Radio Syracuse, we'll have Crunch Hockey tonight there in Belleville. Lucas Favalli took over for Dan Duva, speaking of which, on the call there. On the AM side, ESPN Radio AM 1200, we will have Syracuse Hoops, then we'll join the World Series in progress. 
if you're listening in Utica, you're going to have baseball. You're going to have Game 7 of the World Series. All right? So if on a programming note, you're looking for those things tonight, that's how that's going to shake out. Speaking of which, nothing like a Game 7, man. Game 2 and Game 5 and even Game 6 last night, pretty much this entire World Series has been entertaining. And as, as we'll get into later in the show, increased ratings, increased interest, even beating the Cubs and the Indians last year, believe it or not, there's nothing like a Game 7. It's going to be very hard to top the significance of last year's Game 7 between the Cubs and the Indians. Seven game, seventh game, 10th inning, Cubs win the World Series, the historical value of that. It doesn't mean tonight can't be a better game. Game 7s can be duds, too. I remember Game 7 between the Red Sox and the Yankees, 2004. Hey, remember that? The Yankees were up 3-0 and lost that lead thing. Yeah, that Game 7 was boring. It was a foregone conclusion, thanks to Johnny Damon and his Grand Slam home runs and you know just being there that night. So Game 7s can be a disappointment. We hope that's not the case tonight. I don't think that's going to be the case. All hands are on deck and... Everybody's available to come out there. Maybe even Justin Verlander will get back out there tonight. You never know. That's the beauty of a Game 7. So we will discuss that for sure later on. Hot takes as usual. But we do start with some questions on our mind with Syracuse basketball unofficially tipping it up tonight. It is exhibition basketball. So there'll be basketball played in the Carrier Dome. And there'll be another team out on the court. And we'll have one of these tonight. We'll have one of these next week. And then we'll start for real next Friday. But... This is certainly one of the more intriguing starts to a Syracuse basketball season that we can remember in recent memory. Syracuse basketball seasons in Syracuse, New York, are always anticipated. There's always excitement about it. So there's always certainly a fever pitch about it. But different seasons take on different tones based on the players coming back, based on the season they had prior based on sometimes what the coach will say. Remember Jim Beheim about last year's team was very high on them, very complimentary. Then looked at a team, gave an honest assessment of what he thought could be one of his better teams in recent years, and that kind of set the tone, and they were in the preseason rankings. They were coming off a Final Four run, and, you know, you said, okay, these guys are going to be pretty good. And we had heard a lot about Andrew White and John Gillen, but needed to see them firsthand, and it didn't take long in exhibition play and early on, particularly with Andrew White, to see just how good they were. But then as we went along, we discovered non-conference play in this day and age with the emphasis put on that by the NCAA Selection Committee is critical. And you cannot stub your toe in non-conference play the way Syracuse did and make up for that in conference play. But this is a new year and a new season, and this takes on a different tone. So we've got questions about this team, right? Questions that we will start to get answered, but you cannot overreact to in exhibition play. But even Bayheim's got to be wondering about a few things. They've been practicing for about a month now, and I'm sure he's got some ideas in his head, but there's you know, only things you can learn in game situations with different opponents, not yourselves, on the other side of the court. And those questions are just how much of a leader will Tyus Battle be? He is the clear talent on this team. He is the safe bet to lead this team in scoring. He's the NBA talent on this team who more than likely will be spending his last year with us here in Syracuse this season if things go on the trajectory of the kind of player he is and 
what we've seen seven prior players do as first-round picks, a run that only Kentucky and Duke can top right now in college basketball. So we all want to see the advances made in his game. We all want to know about Frank Howard. Will Jim Beheim give him a little bit more of a leash? Will he be a more confident player? This is somebody who admitted he contemplated transferring, went through some rough times last year, went through some injuries, to be fair as well. Certainly did not have a confident season, was in the starting lineup, was pulled out of the starting lineup, but he has to take on a bigger role this year. We're all wondering how that role will go, how he'll correspond with Tyus Battle, and while we're in the backcourt, there's a question right there. What's up with Geno Thorpe, which we probably will not get the answer to here in the short term. He's still going through an ankle injury that he suffered in practice a couple of weeks ago. So more than likely, if he plays, it won't be much tonight because they're going to be cautious about that, as they should. But here you have a player that was a good scorer on a really bad team. six four player who can come in and make an immediate contribution and is one of the few veterans on this team. This is a young basketball team. Senior day is not going to be very busy this year for Syracuse. And then you look down low and you've got a whole bunch of questions about Matthew Moyer and what kind of player he is. We've only heard and read scouting reports and recruiting stories and accounts from practice, but, you know, foot injury, red shirt last year, what kind of player is he? Who will step up down low with the departure of Torian Thompson? You know, Beheim said it at Media Day, we don't talk about players that aren't here, but that's an issue that has to be addressed. Pascal Chukwu, seven games last year, out with an eye injury, recovered from that. What kind of difference can he make? A lot of new players on this team, a lot of freshmen coming in. We've heard great things about O'Shea Brissett. Maybe you've seen great things about O'Shea Brissett at the orange-white scrimmage where you know we heard about this very athletic player that can get to the rim but was starting to shoot some threes. He could be that early freshman. There's always a freshman that steps up and shows why they came to Syracuse, and in his case, and in the case of Howard Washington, they were off traditional recruiting radars, right? There's a question right there. I didn't even bring up Howard Washington in that guard play. He could be somebody that is going to inject himself into that conversation sooner than we think. Merrick Doljak, and what kind of player is he? I think we've got an idea in our head of, oh, he's from Europe. He must shoot the ball, right? Well, we've got to see him. We know he's a little skinny, and when we finally got a look at him at media day, it's like, okay, need a few cheeseburgers, right? But he's going to have to contribute in some way, in some capacity this year. Barama Sadaibi, new player, raw player, but somebody that's going to have to get some minutes, particularly if a couple names I mentioned and maybe a few I didn't get into foul trouble. So you throw that all out there and you say, How does this mesh together? That process starts tonight. And I'm going to get into this a little bit more later in the show, but I think a benefit of this team, and the AP poll came out today, and as anticipated, they did not get a vote in the AP poll. They did not get a vote in the coaches' poll. When the coaches' poll came out a couple weeks ago, they said this will be the same case when the AP poll comes out because Syracuse just doesn't check a lot of the marks that would make an AP voter put them in their top 25. If Torian Thompson was still around, perhaps they would. But, you know, you really have no reason to put them in your poll if you think like a pollster, and I am a pollster for football. I do not vote for basketball, but there's a lot of the same concepts there. So you look at, when you're a pollster, you look at certain things. Okay, talent. Well, they have certain talent, 
and Tyus Battle, but they have a lot of unknown talent. And frankly, pollsters, unless you are a Jay Billis, Jeff Goodman, national college basketball writer type, they don't have time to research all these teams. They know their beats, they know their leagues, and beyond that, they're just not going to take the time. It's kind of what's put in front of them, right? So Syracuse doesn't have any hype beyond Tyus Battle. They're coming off a 19-15 and 15 season, so not a lot to work with there, and they're inexperienced. So from the outside looking in, this doesn't make them right, by the way. It's just how pollsters think. They say, all right, well, why am I going to vote for them in the top 25? To me, and as I said then and I'll say again now, and we'll kind of set up what I feel at least this season and the tone it takes on right now, But what I said then, and I'll say now, is this is a good thing for Syracuse. I think this is the type of team that needs to be off the radar screen for a little bit, that needs to find itself a little bit. It does not change the fact that Kansas is on that non-conference slate, and Maryland and Connecticut at Madison Square Garden, and Georgetown and St. Bonaventure, and there's always one or two teams that emerge as tournament teams that we didn't think were tournament teams in that non-conference slate, are there, and Syracuse has to beat them, and check off a box they did not last year. doesn't change any of that. That's all by the time we get to New Year's Eve. But for now, I think it is better that this team is not being talked about, is off the radar, and has a little bit of time to find itself. Last year, they did not have that benefit. You want to be a big boy program, by the way, that people are talking about coming off Final Four runs and Jim Beheim is making statements about because of the talent he sees. You want to be in that conversation. And there are always those that will say, and you've been right more than you've been wrong here, to say, well, the Jim Beheim teams that are off the radar always end up doing a lot better. And you can give me 2003 to your blue in the face. There's not a Carmelo Anthony on this team. It doesn't make you wrong that this team could end up being better than we think. But let's not use that comparison. That's the ultimate comparison. But there's no Carmelo on this team. So they start tonight, another one next week, start for real next Friday. How long they can stay off the radar, to me, is key, because it can't be forever. You're a big boy program and a big boy league in the ACC, and like I said, once they start playing some of those non-conference games on national TV, you know, then the national analysts will start coming around and people will eventually circle back on Syracuse, one way or the other. But for now, they need a little time to themselves before they they need they need a dress rehearsal before they start the real show, which is quite literally what tonight is. On that note, we'll take a break. We'll talk a little football coming up. Listen in a little bit of what Dino Babers had to say as they get going again. After the bye week, getting ready for Florida State. Dan Duva later in the show. We'll do some hot takes, talk some World Series. We'll talk to you. At 437-7644, Brent Dax Media on Twitter. The text line at 288-0644. we got a lot to do. Stay right there, baby. Back after this. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. That is correct, voice man. Welcome back. Great to have you. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Got that Halloween hangover going? For some of you, quite literally, yes. But no, I mean... Oh, Halloween's over, man. And it's it's amazing how it all corresponds. Like Halloween's always the night we like my front door, you know, you take the screen out. We got the screen door slash glass 
window. Like you take out the screen and Halloween's always the night we put in the glass. Halloween's the first night. I usually turn on the heat. Halloween's it's like, okay, like we're, we've gone right from fall to uh, winter is here as a, I don't watch Game of Thrones, but I'm kind of aware of the winter is, is here thing. It's like, okay, we're here. Gray, cold, rainy, November day, like all those great October days. Gone! It's just, it's here. And, of course, that means we're Syracuse basketball tonight. I mean, it just, you snap a finger, certain things line up, and there it is. We'll discuss that more later for now. Let me with that fancy open. Let's hot take it. We've got a hot one for you. Oh, you're hot. Why, thank you. So are you. And I'm not afraid to cry. So hot. So hot and hot. Man, it's hot. How hot is it? It's so hot, I poured McDonald's coffee in my lap to cool off. (laughs) It's time for Hot Takes on the Block. So the uh, ongoing discussion about anthem protests and how they're affecting the NFL, not affecting the NFL, took a new and interesting turn today. You know, you can discuss ratings till you're blue in the face. Monday Night Football ratings are up 5%. Overall ratings are down 10%, but they're down from historically high levels. We can't really measure how much of that has to do with the fallout from the anthem protest, it has something to do with it. But, you know, football's football. It'll charge on, and it'll still get five or six of the top-rated shows every week, and it just kind of fluctuates, right? Well, today, the first major sponsor of the NFL says that it feels the protests and the discussion surrounding it is hurting their business, and that is Papa John's. Quote, CEO, company founder, and star of its commercials. Yes, the Papa John, John Shatner. Quote, the NFL has hurt us. We are disappointed, and the NFL and its leadership did not resolve this. This being, of course, the protest issue. Uh, Executives say the company has pulled much of its NFL advertising and that the NFL has responded by giving the company basically additional future spots or giving them make goods. They're trying to hold on to them as a sponsor. They've been the official pizza of the National Football League since 2010. Shatner goes on to say this, leadership starts at the top. This is an example of poor leadership, noting he thought the issue had been, quote, nipped in the bud a year and a half ago. Their stock was down today. They're revising sales estimates for the next quarter. And uh, in a conference call today, the NFL came up 44 times. Now, this is the same company that three years ago credited the National Football League for its boost in sales, for its profile, and being the most, they did research and they say the most associated sponsor with the National Football League is Papa John's. So three years ago, everybody's great, Peyton Manning's in my commercial, now it's all their fault that our sales are down. Okay, well, it it should be duly noted that uh, Papa John is a huge Trump supporter and has donated to Trump, so he's in line with his views on this whole thing, which he has every right to do. I'm not saying that in a good or a bad way, but how can you quantify that's the reason your sales are down? They did not provide any numbers to back this up, by the way. This is an easy thing to jump on because it's such a hot button issue. Well, that's why our sales are down, right? Well, are your sales down for other reasons? Are people ordering less pizza for some reasons? Is your competition up? Uh, are they ordering less pizza because they view your association with certain things? I mean, just, you know, business and sales fluctuate for all kinds of reasons. To me, this is kind of a lazy out. If you have marketed research, if you have customers giving testimonials, calling you and saying, this is why I'm not, 
ordering pizza, if you have sales figures to present, I mean, I, I would buy into this more if you could give me, you know, like proof as opposed to, well, that's why the sales are down because of the protest thing. Okay. Well, I mean, Papa John's, say you want about Papa John's if you're somebody who orders chain pizza or not. I'm not going to get into the quality of their pizza. I'll just kind of leave that to you. But the guy's pretty smart businessman. Guy, I'm not sure if he's a billionaire, but he's got to be pretty close to it. They have donated all kinds of money. I mean, you go to Louisville, it's all Papa John's. That's where they're that's what the, that's where they're based, right? University of Louisville, a little scandal going on there too. But it's Papa John Stadium, right? And there's a reason the guy, you know who he is, and he's a pizza guy in a commercial, right? You have to know what you're doing in the business world to be at that level. So I'll give him the benefit of the doubt to say, this is why we feel our sales are down. It also kind of feels like a lazy narrative to lean on at this point. That's hot. So the Broncos are making a change. It's Brock time, baby. Brock Osweiler over Trevor Simeon. It'll be his first start for the Broncos since 2015 when he started seven games while Peyton Manning was injured. This is just fascinating to me how this has come full circle. So Brock Osweiler is supposed to be the heir apparent to Peyton Manning, starts for him. Peyton Manning comes back in, starts every game, leads him to the Super Bowl. Okay, well, now the torch will be passed to Brock Osweiler. It didn't exactly work that way. He didn't get the money he wanted, so he leaves for Houston. Free agency, 15 touchdowns, 16 interceptions as the Texans starter in 2016. They get rid of him. They bring in Deshaun Watson, who, by the way, had 16 touchdowns in the month of October. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. Traded to the Browns. The Cleveland Browns, who, let me remind you, tried to trade for A.J. McCarron yesterday and did not get A.J. McCarron because they didn't get the paperwork in on time. Which I should not make fun of, by the way, because I didn't get my Syracuse football prediction in on time. So, therefore, I have to bring donuts to the meeting again. So, pot calling the kettle black here, but that's such... A Browns thing to do. You traded for a somewhat competent quarterback who actually could be, you know, somebody you could bring in and develop and might be a pretty good steal, is considered one of the better backups in the NFL. And because you couldn't tell time and you couldn't get it in on time, things happen at deadlines, you lost them. Anyway, that team, the Browns, released Brock Osweiler. Brock Osweiler ends up back in Denver. And because Trevor Simeon is 29th in the league in passer rating, has been sacked 25 times and tied for the second highest total amongst league starters, the Broncos, despite having the number one defense in the NFL, have lost four of their, pa- four of their past five games. They're three and five. And see, this is why you got to make a change. You don't need a quarterback in Denver. You need a placeholder. You need a guy. You need, can I break out? A generic term here, you need a what? Game manager. Just run the offense. Defense will take care of things around here. Trevor Simeon was the perfect game manager, was the perfect just don't screw this up. Just run the offense. Don't turn the ball over. Do your thing. And he couldn't even do that. Brock Osweiler, let me remind you, was released by the Cleveland Browns would seem to fit the description of just 
run the offense. But see, Brock's not that kind of guy. He'll take chances. He's a much bigger quarterback. There's something about quarterbacks that, and Brock is what, 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, I believe? They drafted a guy in Paxton Lynch, who, by the way, it's not in this conversation, has not developed at the rate maybe they thought they would. And See, this kind of spins off to something else here. Who runs the Denver Broncos? John Elway. Okay, Peyton Manning, that worked. But since, what has John Elway done to develop quarterbacks in Denver? I just said the names. Brock Osweiler, Trevor Simeon, Paxton Lynch. He keeps striking out here. This is supposed to be a quarterback guru. What is the Denver Broncos' main thing right now? They're a defensive team. They're the number one defense in the NFL. Just goes to show you, when you're anointed a guru of something, maybe it's because you can, but you can't always build, if that makes any sense. right? Ted Williams wasn't that great of a baseball manager because he just couldn't relay to his players what he knew and what he was good at, what was ingrained in him, what his DNA was. Sometimes you just can't teach greatness. Michael Jordan is an awful NBA owner. Has he taken that competitive drive, his knowledge of the game? He has the resources to do it and built that into making Charlotte a championship-level team or even a playoff-level team? No, he has not. Now, some are successful here. There's there's exceptions to all rules, but don't get me wrong. John Elway's been an, an exceptional owner in other ways. He's an exceptional businessman. He's a smart guy. But his area of expertise, Denver quarterbacks, they keep swinging and missing here. You tell me Brock Osweiler is going to be the great savior? You already tried this once, and it didn't work out. That's hot. Tonight, Game 7, World Series. We will dig into this a little bit more in depth in the next hour. But average ticket for Game 7, $1,795. StubHub said this morning, average ticket sold to Wednesday night's winner-take-all Game 7. As mentioned, at $1,795. Now, that is about $300 short of last year's Game 7 between the Cubs and the Indians. But, I mean, think about the significance of that game. It more than doubles the price paid on StubHub for a Game 7 in 2014, which was Giants-Royals. That was just under 900 bucks, And triples what was paid for Game 7 in 2011, Cardinals-Rangers. $696. Okay, so Wednesday night, tonight, Dodger Stadium, which has the largest capacity in the majors at more than 54,000 seats. That's about 16,000 more tickets than Progressive Field in Cleveland, where last year's Game 7 was held. Point being, if you're in L.A. and you got $1,800 to burn, and a lot of people in L.A. do, you can go to the World Series. And... Whether or not your team's in it, I mean, that's one thing, because history is going to be made one way or the other. Either the Dodgers win the World Series tonight for the first time in just about 30 years, or the Astros win it for the first time in the 55-year history of the franchise. By the way, thank God that common sense prevailed and Game 7 is in L.A. tonight because they got rid of that dopey home field advantage goes to the winner of the All-Star Game rule which is why Game 7 is in L.A. tonight. If you're in Los Angeles and you are, no matter what level of baseball fan you are, I mean, if you're a Dodger fan, you don't even think about it, $1,800?
that's just, you got to be there. You know what else struck me about going through those numbers there? How often we've had a Game 7 in the World Series recently? 2017, 2016, which was epic. 2014, Giants-Royals, which that was, you know, that was a pretty good series. And 2011, Cardinals-Rangers. We've had Game 7s quite often in the last, what, five, six years here. And, you know, sports fan rules apply. You have to watch Game 7. There's no dilly-dallying. There's no napping. There's, you know, Grandpa's going to stay up and watch this. You have to. It's Game 7, right? 437-7644. That's our phone number. Brent Axe Media on Twitter. The text line is 288-0644. we got some more SU hoops to discuss. Our friend Dan Duva's going to check in. Next hour, now the voice of the Vegas Golden Knights. What's life like as an NHL play-by-play guy getting off the bus, getting on the chartered flights? What's it like to be in that city right now, of course, with everything that has happened following the shooting and how that city has kind of rallied around sports and the, and the Golden Knights who did an amazing job honoring the first responders and the victims of that shooting. And, you know, it's just, we saw it again in New York City yesterday. It's just un, an unfortunate part of normal life in this country. Vegas is one of those cities that is right there in the spotlight of that. So we'll get Dan's thoughts on that. This pretty darn good team that he gets to call play by play for world series. As we mentioned, game seven, we got a lot more to do next hour. Hang in there back after this. Thank you. Bye-bye.